0: from KQED.
1: KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny.
2: If we're going to open our economy and have our children be in schools, we have to defeat the virus. And that is one of the contentious uh, issues that we have to deal with yet.
1: That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday on negotiations on a federal coronavirus relief bill. But Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said yesterday that the White House wants a narrower approach.
3: There's clearly a desire on their part to do an entire package, we are willing to deal with the short-term issues and pass something quickly and come back to larger issues. So were, we're at an impasse on that.
1: Coming up on Forum, I'll get the latest on the relief talks and more with South Bay Democratic Congresswoman Anna Eshoo. Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and I'm joined now by South Bay Democratic Congresswoman Anna Eshoo. As Congress remains deadlocked on how to stimulate the economy, Anna Eshoo will share her thoughts this segment on what steps lawmakers should take to slow the spread of COVID-19 and bring relief to more than 30 million unemployed Americans. We're also going to talk about how to ensure voters can cast ballots in the presidential election that is just three months away. And welcome, Anna Eshoo. Good to have you back with us. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you, Dr. Krasny. Well, I guess the place to begin is how do we get past this impasse and what can we do, as I mentioned in uh, the introduction, to slow the spread of coronavirus? Well,
2: as we uh, speak, uh, the speaker and uh, representatives of the administration and the minority leader of the Senate are negotiating. And uh, uh, what they are negotiating is a longer-term uh, economic package for the American people. As you said, more than 30 million Americans are unemployed, uh, so uh, uh, we uh, want to extend the unemployment insurance. Uh, there are housing provisions for those that hold mortgages, those that rent, and, uh, and food. Uh, another pillar of the, uh, of the package is for states and local governments. I served in local government, as you know, for 10 years. Uh, They have to turn in uh, states and local governments, balanced budgets. Uh, But they have really hemorrhaged uh, resources uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, And uh, uh, we don't want to see health workers, social workers, mental health workers, sanitation workers uh, laid off. And so those, uh, on a bipartisan basis, Our nation's governors are calling for uh, uh, that assistance to them. Uh, Another pillar of the package uh, is for uh, health care, certainly testing, tracing, and treatment. And the other pillar is the health of our democracy, uh, voting and to uh, provide states uh, to have the resources that they need Uh, to have uh, uh, mail-in ballots. And uh, all states don't uh, uh, do what California and some other states do. And uh, uh, there are resources uh, in the legislation for that. Now, the administration uh, says that they just want something that's short-term. They offered $200 a week uh, for the uninsured. I think that that is uh, short-term thinking because the coronavirus – has proven to be long-term. So uh, uh, we have, uh, I, I think, a very well-thought-out package, and, uh, uh, and I would just add that the Republicans in the Senate are in disarray. They put something on the floor last week that they couldn't even pass themselves. So uh, the negotiations go on, and um, they must. And uh, what is so sad uh, is to see – Uh, the uh, expiration of these uh, uh, benefits uh, to, uh, you know, for the American people. It has everything to do with our economy. It has everything to do with keeping them afloat uh, as we are all tested during this era of a pandemic. So um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and waiting. I can't wait to vote on something that is going to help the American people.
1: There is a wide divide here, though, I mean, and and quite an impasse. Uh, the Republicans are talking about doing things somewhat piecemeal. As you said, they want to bring this down from $600 to $200. You've got Mitch McConnell, uh, head of the Senate, talking about a liability shield. And you've talked, uh, the Democrats talking about workers' rights and also about city and state monies and so forth. I mean, in many ways, uh, I'm, I'm just struck by the fact that there's a huge chasm here.
2: There is. Uh, There is. And uh, I think the chasm uh, really centers in and around um, values and uh, and through that lens uh, that the uh, you know, that the Senate majority leader uh, doesn't doesn't share the same values. I don't know how uh, people can make it in terms of uh, mortgages and rent uh, uh, without. Uh, the economic uh, bridge uh, that, uh, uh, that has worked for them. This is about keeping people afloat. Uh, and they have floated uh, uh, the, uh, the following uh, that uh, uh, people are making more money by staying at home instead of going to work. Oh, no, they call no, it a disincentive no to work, in fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't any data. You always have to start with facts and there isn't any data uh, to back that up, there may be anecdotal cases, uh, but the data for, uh, for the nation simply does not uh, uh, match uh, what they're thinking. So uh, I, I think that uh, uh, really staying at the table uh, for the American people to keep negotiating so that uh, uh, the economic issues are addressed, uh, that state, state and local governments uh, and there's, as I said, very strong, <clears throat> excuse me, bipartisan support for that. And I might add uh, that the Republicans have already voted for this before. Uh, they waited 11 weeks knowing that these provisions were going to expire. Uh, so it's they're placing the burden back on the backs of the American people, uh, which is, uh, I find, to be sad, and in some cases, I might say uh, cruel.
1: Talking with South Bay Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, and uh, the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, uh, Congresswoman says, uh, actually said just yesterday that the Republicans offered a seven-day extension on the enhanced benefits and blamed Democrats for blocking that. So he said Americans should ask you why you're stonewalling.
2: Well, we're we're standing strong for the American people, understanding that... uh, Uh, I don't know how people can make it uh, with uh, $200 a week in addition to what the state-based unemployment insurance is. Uh, I mean, you hear case after case after case, uh, not only uh, in the media, uh, family speaking out, individuals. uh, There are people that are lined up uh, uh, for miles uh, uh, seeking uh, uh, food going to food banks. Uh, so the, the, the country is uh, under, uh, is it's really on its knees right now. Uh, this is not about Democrats winning. This is about what is appropriate and what has worked so far for the American people. So, uh, you know, I, again, when they say short term, uh, I think that they would like to just get rid of the whole thing. And um, say $200 a week for a week. I I think that that is, um, I think that that's less than uh, American people deserve more. Let me put it that way.
1: Aren't they also uh, asking? I mean, you talk about food insecurity. Uh, I believe the uh, Republicans are asking a double of three martini lunch exemption when many people are not able to to eat lunch.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, (laughs) uh, uh, I think uh, Marie Antoinette comes to mind. Imagine doubling the deduction for the three-martini lunch. That's part of their uh, uh, what they're offering, what they think is really going to uh, uh, help uh, um, shore up our economy.
1: Let me remind you that we're with uh, this segment, Anna Ashu, who is South Bay Congresswoman. And I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join us if you indeed have some thoughts that you would like to bring to the conversation here. If you have some questions for the Congresswoman, we'd like to hear from you. And you can join us now at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. Please feel free to be part of the program. Again, the number for your calls, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email us, forum at kqed.org. And i got to ask you, we just heard over the NPR News, uh, Congresswoman, about concerns over the post office as, and particularly in light of the upcoming election. I'd like to get mm-hmm. your thoughts about that, uh, because there are some real concerns here. I mean, there's been uh, concern about the liquidity of the post office, uh, of, of the postal agency, I should say. But the uh, mm-hmm. real concern also, in addition to that, is uh, with all these cutbacks, with all this uh, lack of revenue uh and and shutdowns uh what's it going to have an uh, effect of uh, kind of voter suppression i mean that's really the concern isn't it?
2: well i think that this is uh, part of the uh uh the president's um plan uh relative to the upcoming elections he knows that the postal service is key in this uh and if you cut back uh the postal uh um, the postal services uh resources then that throws sand in the gears relative to a mail-in ballot. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I spoke about not only the health of the American people, but the health of our democracy. Uh, We just um, uh, parted with our um, magnificent colleague, uh, John Lewis, who was uh, willing to be beaten, and uh, his very life, uh, you know, hanging in the breach – uh, in order to protect, to not only to seek voting rights, but to secure them uh, for people in our country. So uh, the vote is sacred. Uh, this is one of the great manifestations of our democracy, the vote. So this has everything to do with the health of our democracy. And that's why uh, we provided the, uh, uh, the resources in the legislation that we passed Uh, I believe now, 11 weeks ago, uh, for the Postal Service and also uh, assistance to the states so that they would be prepared for the upcoming election and uh, uh, mail-in ballots. People really shouldn't have to choose between their health and the health of our democracy. Uh, But the attacks on the Postal Service are certainly part of this uh, dark plan, I believe, of the administration, of the president.
1: Well, there's a $4.5 billion loss though in the last quarter, and uh, yet there's authorization, I think you were alluding to this in March, to borrow up to $10 billion from the U.S. Treasury, but we've got essentially uh, Postmaster General now, who has been not only a large donor of president trump 's but certainly is a major supporter of the president and probably is just as critical of mail in votings, I also wanted to get your thoughts uh, because I know you did actually a, an editorial about Caltrain uh, in the San Jose Mercury news and we 're talking about this one a sales tax I, I should say we talked about it on forum and uh, To some extent, I I think your argument in your editorial was uh, there's too much battle over control here and over where the money's going to go squabbling over governance when we really need the money to electrify and move forward.
2: Well, uh, thank you for uh, raising the subject of Caltrain. I started out my op-ed by saying I have to admit I love Caltrain. Uh, Caltrain is the spine of our transportation system between three counties the city and county of San Francisco, San Mateo County, and Santa Clara County. Uh, now, the ridership pre-coronavirus uh, was um, uh, something like 65,000 um, uh, commuters a day. Uh, uh, I led the charge in, in Congress to, uh, to seek the funding, and, and with my Bay Area colleagues, and we were successful uh, to electrify Caltrain so that it would move faster, it would be cleaner in terms of the environment, uh, carry more passengers. And, of course, the fare box has uh, uh, taken a deep dive uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, now, uh, 70% of, uh, of the income for Caltrain uh, is, comes from uh, the fares that people pay, But uh, there is not a dedicated source of funding uh, for operations for Caltrain, uh, and that's why uh, Assemblyman Kevin Mullen uh, did legislation that became law uh, permitting, uh, uh, you know, the placement on the ballot, but the three counties have to agree with each other. Meanwhile, Santa Clara County and the city and county of San Francisco are squabbling about governance. Now, governance is important, uh, but I, I think the overall um, system of Caltrain is at stake. So I think that there needs to be uh, some larger thinking here uh, about our collective future. Uh, I can't imagine what the Peninsula uh, area uh, would be uh, when we slowly come back to where we were before uh, with ridership. Uh, if all of those uh, people have to get into automobiles. Uh, I mean, we were choking in traffic before. We certainly would be again. Uh, we simply don't have the infrastructure to carry uh, all those cars. So uh, I, I'm, I'm disappointed uh, in how, um, uh, you know, I'm disappointed in the
1: squabbling. You want to see it and on the ballot. I, I,
2: I don't you... think any politician is going to be congratulated for bringing the system down.
1: I understand. Uh, Let me bring some callers on, and let's go first to Leanne in Oakland, who joins us. Leanne, good morning. Welcome.
0: Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Speaker Pelosi, I just want to say the quickest thank you. We think, we who are- Excuse me, we're talking
1: to Anna Eshoo, Leanne. We're not talking to Speaker (laughs) Pelosi, sorry.
0: Sorry, Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, Confusion. It's a lovely um, compliment. (laughs) I'll pass it along to her. (laughs) We really appreciate that you're fighting for justice and for getting the uh, benefits and the assistance to those who need it most. Um, We're paying attention, so thank you. My quick question is, for those who are, uh, for the uh, benefits that are forthcoming, is there going to be uh, more attention and more tailoring so that uh, the benefits go to those who most need it? We all know we all appreciate the benefits but there are plenty of families that we all know some of them who um are receiving more in unemployment than they received when they were working or or you know got PPP loans when they really don't need them and I wonder if um that would appease some of the republicans and get this package through.
2: Well it's a it's it's a good question uh Leanne and uh uh, the benefits that, uh, uh, that we had put into place and people received, uh, were tied to what their income was. Uh, so unemployment benefits, uh, are set by states, uh, and, uh, that is, that depends on what someone's income has been. And, uh, and then we added to that because we knew that it wasn't livable. So, uh, uh, no legislation is perfect. Why? Because human beings aren't. So what we draw up, uh, there are always uh, some people that may take advantage of something. Uh, but my experience with my constituents and their stories, uh, they have said that this they would have never made it unless they had these lifelines. Uh, the stimulus checks that went to the American people, uh, the uninsurance uh, the unemployment insurance, uh, the uh, the housing assistance, and then uh, uh, the food. Uh, we have uh, tens of millions of children in our country uh, that are food insecure. That's a difficult sentence for me to uh, to state. So uh, this is all about uh, a lifeline uh, to people. Uh, it it is through no fault. Uh, of uh, of any of my constituents or anyone in the country uh, that we are in the position that we're in because of the pandemic. Um, it's a whole nother conversation about how that <laughs> should have been handled. Uh, but uh, uh, we wanna make sure that people are not evicted, that they have this lifeline, that the very basics of day-to-day living uh, people are able to have. Uh, and that's why we're fighting so hard. Uh, this, is, this is not about a, uh, a party. Uh, this is about the people of our country.
1: Let me bring another caller on from uh, your district. In fact, let me go to uh, Carrie. Good morning.
2: Hi. Um,
0: I wanted to know from the Congresswoman what she thinks we can do as constituents to protect the post
2: office so that the um, president and the Republicans can't sabotage our election. Well, it's an excellent question. I I, I think that because he is a national leader, um, that, uh, uh, that calls or emails should go to, um, uh, the majority leader in the Senate, uh, because this is, uh, this is really about the health of our democracy. And, uh, I, I hear from my constituents on a consistent basis. It's like a drumbeat, exactly what you just said, Carrie, and, uh, Uh, And my constituents uh, uh, understand the uh, importance of the Postal Service. Uh, And for those that are uh, uh, in quarantine, having to stay home, uh, this is their lifeline from the outside world, so to speak, uh, to have their mail delivered. Uh, And that's why we want to not only uh, protect the Postal Service, but also uh, uh, protect the vote because the Postal Service uh, is directly uh, linked to it.
1: Talking with South Bay Congresswoman Anna Ashu, and here's a tweet from a listener named Michael who writes, "Caltrain benefits computers and their employers. If big tech employers can find luxury buses for their workforce, let them subsidize Caltrain." Well, we were. It's a. It's a. It's a good.
2: Um, uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, there has been a partnership with. Um, with Facebook and other employers uh, to, um, uh, for resources uh, relative to the Dumbarton Bridge, uh, because that holds uh, promise to uh, extend rail across that. So uh, that is, that's been in place. They put up, I think, uh, at least, I think it was $10 million uh, for that. Uh, But this is about our public transportation system. Uh, And so uh, uh, there isn't any guarantee that if uh, this gets to the ballot, uh, that people will approve it. Uh, But poll after poll uh, in the three counties uh, uh, demonstrates consistently uh, that uh, people in our region support Caltrain. They wanted it upgraded we secured the federal dollars for it. Uh, we have, uh, and so that one eighth of a cent will go a long, long way into the future. Well,
1: um, why not just let the uh, for voters for decide? California. Anyway, I, I mean, we, we talked about it on well, the. Well, we and,
2: wanted it. Yeah. yeah, we wanted it on the uh, on the November ballot. Yeah. That, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, and the and the voters would weigh in on it. I think we should allow voters to weigh in on it. Uh, But uh, the squabbling has to end. The squabbling has to end. And I've called for bigger thinking on the part of uh, uh, the three counties. And uh, uh, I don't think uh, uh, the people that uh, reside in the region are as um, uh, taken with the issue of governance. Uh, That can be straightened out. uh, But uh, uh, we can't allow this system to go under.
1: We're going to have to leave it there. Anne Ashew, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you with us this morning. Thank you, Dr. Krasny. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anna Ashew again, is South Bay Congresswoman. And when we return, we're going to continue talking about politics and get into the veepstakes and more. Stay tuned. That's up ahead. I'm Michael Krasny. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're going to continue talking politics now with Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Michael. I also want to welcome uh, Anita Kumar, who is White House correspondent and associate editor of Politico. Good to have you with us again, Anita.
4: Thanks for having me back.
1: Glad to have you back. Glad to have both of you here. Anita, let me begin with you. We just spoke with Congresswoman Anna Escher of the South Bay and – We're at a terrible impasse here. I mean, is there going to be any compromise or any light that's coming in to suggest that there's going to be some kind of compromise beyond all this polarization?
4: Well, I think the pressure on members of Congress and the White House to do something is really, really big. So I do think they'll get to that point, but it's unclear how long it will take. And, you know, from the White House perspective, they're saying it could take quite some time, that it's not like they're looking at something's going to be done tomorrow just because these unemployment benefits ran out. I think that people should expect this to take probably some
1: weeks. Some weeks, and yet uh, people are hurting and the houses are being lost, I mean, as we speak here.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something where it looked like they might do this temporary fix, you know, just to continue these benefits for at least uh, while these negotiations are going on. But as you know, that didn't happen. And so... So here we are.
1: Here we are. And at this point, uh, what, what's the involvement of uh, uh, Leader McConnell in all this? It seems to be that the Republicans are sending other negotiators there, and uh, the Democrats have accused him of just you know, letting this thing stall for quite a while. And he's been a little bit absent, really, for the most part, hasn't he?
4: Right. I mean, he hasn't been in these small group meetings, really, who's been in there are the House Speaker, the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and then from the White House, the Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Um, you know, the President hasn't been involved directly, although he says he's gotten a number of calls and check-ins from his, um, you know, two two representatives in the meetings. But you're right, Leader McConnell hasn't been in the room, and from their perspective on the Senate Republican side. The White House and the House Democrats really need to come up with a, uh, you know, an agreement they feel like before, you know, they need to get involved or not get involved, Mm -hmm. but they uh, have to have that agreement first. And there's so many disagreements on so many different issues that until they get to those, at least some of those parameters, there's no reason to, to hash out these small things or, you know, how much money it's. Which, what, should we even fund something? So they need to get to the philosophy behind this. What are they looking to accomplish in this bill? And I don't even think they're there yet.
1: Anita Kumar, White House correspondent and associate Editor of Politico and our own Scott Schaefer, Senior Editor for KQD's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. Scott, uh, I want to talk about the veep stakes. I hate to use that word because it makes it sound like we're in a horse race here, but I know that you and... Uh, Marisa, have been talking with candidates, and a couple of them are, of course, right here in California, leading candidates uh, for the possible running mates for Joe Biden. Uh, let's, let's just talk about what's shaping up, because, uh, and, and first of all, things have changed somewhat, at least on the horizon. Karen Bass's name, uh, these are people, of course, that we both know, uh, legislators uh, that we've both known for many years. And Karen Bass seemed to be, um, shall we say, uh, advancing in terms of her popularity and a reasonable candidate. And then suddenly, a- sort of the shadow of Fidel Castro and Scientology came on board here.
3: <laughs> All the oppo research is getting dumped, Michael, I think is what's happening. Yeah, this has been an interesting process. You know, I went back before uh, the show this morning just to kind of take a look at 2008, when Joe Biden was selected by uh, Barack Obama, and he was picked right before the convention, and it was a very secretive process. Uh, there were very few leaks, uh, and there was no drama. It was uh, really something that Actually, Obama later said he had decided on quite a bit earlier and just wanted to make sure before he made the announcement. And you contrast that process with what we're seeing now, uh, and you're seeing all these leaks and uh, comments from people like Chris Dodd, the former Connecticut senator who is very close to Joe Biden, criticizing Kamala Harris's uh, uh, going after Biden on busing back in the debate last year.
1: Someone Uh, said throwing him under the bus, so to speak, yeah.
3: Yeah, and then you've got uh, you have there's also Ed Rendell, the former governor of Pennsylvania, also close to Biden, uh, sort of critiquing Susan Rice, the former UN ambassador's smile on television. And this is not a good look, Uh, you know, at a time when we're uh, very seriously considering, uh, you know, picking somebody who could very well be the next president of the United States, given Biden's age, he'll be 78 years old when he becomes president, if he's elected. And so, uh, you know, I think that there is a sort of a sense that especially the women of color are kind of being pitted against each other. You know, Karen Bass uh, being described as the anti Kamala Harris, she's really pushed back on that over the weekend. Uh, And she's, you know, saying, well, why aren't you comparing, you know, the governor of Michigan, Whitmer, with uh, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren? You know, those are two white women, you know, and it's just taken on a a tone of nastiness and bitterness and personal. It's gotten very personal. I don't think that's really what Joe Biden wants or needs. And uh, I think it's beginning to get to be just a very muddied up uh, process that uh, really doesn't benefit the Democrats.
1: Well, there certainly is a lot of support for Kamala Harris among Democrats, probably more for her than any other of the candidates. And Alani uh, uh, Kulonakis, the lieutenant governor, got uh, sort of political and labor forces together to essentially support her over the weekend. So things seem to be moving in that direction, but they keep bringing up, of course, that debate and the, when she went after Biden in the debate.
3: Yeah, well, I think it's more than that. Uh, you know, there are people who, for one reason or another, are not enamored of Kamala Harris. I mean, if you may recall that when the uh, campaign first began, Dianne Feinstein was one of the first to endorse Joe Biden. I mean, she did not endorse Kamala Harris. Uh, and I think there are other people, including perhaps Nancy Pelosi, who's putting her thumb or maybe her pinky on the scale for Karen Bass. Uh, the Congre- there are a number of uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus that are very, very supportive, including, I think, Jim Clyburn. Of, of Karen Bass. They like her style, her consensus building. They think she can work across the aisle and bridge differences, help heal the country. Um, you know, at the same time, there are those who say Kamala Harris uh, has what it takes. She's been vetted nationally. She's been under the glare of a national debate and a presidential contest. Um, and so, you know, I think what we're seeing is no, per, there is no perfect candidate in the eyes of Joe Biden, and he is uh, looking at all the options. Obviously, they've all been very carefully vetted. And so it's kind of like, okay, do you wanna pick somebody who is just not, simply won't do harm to the ticket and will help you stay on the trajectory you're on now, which is you know looking pretty good for him in November, or do you prefer to have somebody you think is going to be a good governing partner once you become president? And I think those are two different questions. And the various candidates who are being discussed bring different things to that question.
1: Well, he's talked a lot about wanting somebody simpatico. And he uh, described himself as a man of compassion. He wants somebody who has passion. It's going to be... a A difficult choice, and it's probably down to the wire, and it may come any day now. I mean, he said the first week in August, didn't he? Well,
3: he said by August 1st at one point, then he said the first week in August, and now they're saying maybe maybe it'll be another 10 days, two weeks, but definitely before the convention, which, of course, it has to be before the convention, you know, and just in defense... Right now, the national conversation is not one that's helpful to the president and the Republicans. So there's some thinking of, you know, well, why interrupt that conversation? You know, why nominate somebody who is immediately going to be attacked by Republicans, change the narrative? You know, let's let this current moment where you've got this standoff in Congress with really, I think, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats having the upper hand on this issue of the stimulus, you know, let's, you know, let, let that play out. There's no hurry. I mean, most people don't care particularly about who he picks as vice president. They're focused on uh, schools reopening in the fall. They're worried about their unemployment benefits. They're worried about their jobs, their small businesses. So, you know, this is something we like to talk about because, it, you know, that's what we cover. Uh, but I don't think it really matters that much to the average voter. Well, let's get
1: the average voter involved in this conversation, and I'm going to invite you, our listeners, to be part of the conversation, not only talking about the difference that it might make as far as uh, Joe Biden picking a running mate, but also talking about the ongoing concern over getting revenue into the hands of those who need it and getting something passed through our legislatures. You can join us now, and I invite you to do that, talking about national and state politics with Scott Schaefer and Anita Kumar and you, And you can give us a call at 866-733-6786 to join the program. Again, that's a toll-free number available to you right now, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And getting back to the um, selection of a running mate, Anita Kumar, if I could bring you into this, uh, just from a practical standpoint, uh, thinking about the fact of... uh, if, if definitely Joe Biden wants to go with a woman of color, and there are some who say he should be looking at Whitmer of Michigan, or he should be looking at uh, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. But if he's going that way, they mentioned Val Demings uh, because of Florida, but then she was a police chief and that doesn't necessarily help her these days. Uh, and then they mentioned, uh, of course, Tammy Duckworth of Illinois. Uh, those are both at least potentially geographically of help to him, uh, but he's really navigating very difficult here between being called a puppet of the left if he chooses somebody a little bit too far to the left or going too far away from the left for those on the left who he needs support from
2: yeah
4: i mean it's a really it's a really interesting dynamic here and you know thinking back to previous years i don't remember there being this many at this late stage you know the biden campaign isn't really even sharing who he's interviewing one on one we expect those interviews to be this week they're still insisting, you know, 11, 11 names are still out there, although, uh, you know, as we've just talked about, about five of them are really, you know, sort of at the, seems like, if we're correct, top tiers, you know, getting more serious consideration. There is a lot of pressure on him, on Vice President Biden, to pick a woman of color. You know, if you'll remember a couple of months back, Senator Amy Klobuchar, you know, dropped out of the running, basically, because she said he should pick a woman of color, and it, it really is looking that way. If you look at the ten or eleven that he's looking at, many um, are women of color—not necessarily black women, but um, you know, Hispanic. Uh, you know, Kamala Harris has that dual background of both being a black woman; she also has a uh, Indian-American heritage as well. So, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. This would be the year a lot of people feel like uh, for him to do that. But you're exactly right. He's got to look at you know what they always look at: geography and who he gets along with and and can really work with, but also, um, you know, there's so many things going on right now in terms of, you know, unrest in our country. So he's going to be looking at who would be the right person to do that. I, you mentioned Val Demings and her police, former you know background as a police chief. Well, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor, and there's some considerations, on that as well.
1: Well, we should also mention that there were about 60 black clergy leaders who have come forward and said that again. Vice President uh, Biden should pick a vice presidential running mate uh, who is a woman of color or actually an African-American woman. Some comments coming in from Jim who says, I don't believe a vice president should be picked to help win the election. Biden doesn't need that help. A vice president should be selected to help run the country once Biden is in office. And Paul writes, I'd like to keep Ms. Harris as our senator. Mr. Biden might heed the advice of Napoleon Bonaparte, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. And again, I invite you, our listeners, to be part of the program. Our toll-free number, if you'd like to join us now, is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. Scott, what's your thinking on uh, the impasse we're at here now in Congress? Are we ever going to get past it? Uh, compromise? Likely?
3: <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, that's what they're doing now is they're negotiating. They met over the weekend. They said they made some progress, still a long ways to go. I mean, look, there's too much at stake. You've got, uh, what, 30 million Americans caught up in this in a very direct way. You've got the prohibition on evictions has been lifted. You've got a lot of Uh, people who really rely on that $600 unemployment insurance bonus on top of the state benefit that they're getting. Uh, And, you know, the Democrats do have the upper hand, I believe. They've already passed a bill, they passed the HEROES Act in May, a $3 trillion package, and I think they know that they're not going to get everything that they want, uh, certainly, and Nancy Pelosi is a very good negotiator, but there are some things in there that they probably are going to work uh, very hard to keep, including a trillion dollars for state and local governments. I mean, California alone (laughs) All right. the <laughs> has $14 billion in cuts that will be triggered if that federal money doesn't come through. Uh, Republicans were very opposed to that, but on the other hand, they're going to have to give on something. Uh, They'll probably whittle down that $600 bonus to, I don't know, somewhere between 200 and 600. Uh, There's also $25 billion for the Postal Service that's in the HEROES Act, which is something of growing concern among Democrats, given the uh, importance of the mail-in vote come November. I think that's something they're going to probably really want to hold on to. But there's a lot of wiggle room. And, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi has a very strong hand, but, you know, she also has constituents, as do all the Democratic caucus, that are relying on them coming through, you know, sooner rather than later.
1: I want to get to our callers. But first, Scott, can you talk a little bit about the discussions going on in Sacramento on a California coronavirus relief plan?
3: Uh, Well, there's actually this morning, there's some news that perhaps there is some question about whether or how uh members of the legislature can vote there was some thinking that uh, they could cast votes remotely and now there was uh, one of the republicans uh, uh, filed a lawsuit to block that, saying it's not in the state constitution. So I think they have to first work out how it is that they're going to, uh, you know, to actually cast votes on whatever the package is they come up with. The Democrats had floated a very large plan of, I think, a hundred billion dollars. That's a huge amount of money to sort of backfill or prevent uh, some of the hardship that might come if there isn't an agreement at the uh, at the national level. Uh, but you know, one thing that Jerry Brown was very insistent upon when he became governor, after you know uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had been there, there were a lot of sort of smoke and mirrors attempts to keep the balance, the budget balanced. And Jerry Brown said no to a lot of spending priorities, and he kind of uh, insisted that the uh, that the budget be truly balanced and not just balanced with sort of wishful thinking about getting federal money for this or that, or the economy improving more quickly than it probably will. And so I think this is really a test for Governor Gavin Newsom to see just, you know, how, how much uncertainty and how much debt is he willing to take on, how much borrowing is he willing to do, uh, you know, to fulfill these wishes of Democratic legislators who, you know, of course, want to promise the sky to their constituents that many of them are up for re-election in November. Uh, so it's very, very unclear just how much I think they'd love to know what Congress is going to do before they make a commitment to spending state money.
1: And you're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. Let me bring a caller aboard here. Ken, join us. You're on. Hey, good morning.
0: Uh, I wanted to just counter that uh, no one is that interested in the VP. I think if we just count um, the number of achievements that Elizabeth Warren has come up with, uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, and just the list of her policy, uh, legislative and budget-wise, no one comes close.
1: She's been doing a lot of advising to uh, Joe Biden, uh, Anita Kumar. Uh, any likelihood there of her being named? I think she would like her, to be named, wouldn't she?
4: Yeah, she's still out there and she still has supporters that are you know, telling Team Biden that she should be the one. And, and you're exactly right. She's been advising on primarily economic issues. And I, I think there's some interest. But as we... Mentioned before, there is some uh, pressure on the vice president, former vice president, to pick a woman of color, and so that would be sort of, you know, one of those factors. Also, I, I should add, as I as I cover uh, President Trump and his team, that I think they would uh, be really interested in having her <laughs> as the vice presidential pick. Um, I think they think she would be weak—not that she would be a weak candidate, but she would be someone that they could easily attack you know, that she's a socialist. She's uh, too progressive. She's too on the left. So while she may be a good candidate, they feel like she um, would be someone that they could go after. I think Susan Rice is another one that, um, that the president's team feels like uh, has a lot of baggage that they could, could you know, uh, criticize.
1: We bring up Benghazi again right away. If Susan Rice were named a running mate, we'd hear that from the GOP. Let's hear from another caller. Terrell joining us from San Anselmo. Good morning.
4: Good morning. Hey, I haven't heard you mention Stacey Abrams. It might have happened while I was on hold with your um, producer, but I was wondering if you could talk about her as a candidate.
1: Well, let's talk about her as a candidate. And Anita Kumar, I'm going to go back to you on this. Uh, The smart uh, thinking seems to be uh, we need uh, or that the country needs her and the Democrats need her on voter suppression and that they also uh, are concerned about the fact that she lost, although it may have been because of voter suppression, to uh, Kemp in Georgia.
4: Right. We heard her name a lot a while back. And um, from everything I've heard and my colleagues who are covering this a bit more closely, um, the, you know, Biden's team seems to have cooled on her a little bit. It's interesting. um, You know, she has been very outspoken up front about her interest. Um, Sometimes people, when they're being considered, don't really talk about it. They don't comment. But she's been She's been outspoken about, you know, her interest in serving as, uh, as vice president, if he, he would pick her. But from everything we've heard, she's not sort of in that smaller group that is being considered right now. You know, anything can happen with these things. It's it's Joe Biden basically has to make that final decision, no matter what advice he gets. So he could go back to someone else. But from what we're hearing right now, she's not in that that final mix.
1: And uh, Valerie writes, the person who is nominated as vice president needs to be able to step in as president. None of the names that have been put up recently are people who could do that, with the exception of Amy Klobuchar. She has served for decades in the Senate. She brings the Midwest with her. She works across the aisle. But, Scott, she's pretty much taken herself out of the game, hasn't she?
3: She has. Uh, she, I think, she saw her star fading rather quickly after what happened uh, to George Floyd when he was killed by police in Minneapolis. She had been the essentially the district attorney in that county when uh, before she was elected to the uh, the U.S. Senate. And there had been during the campaign a lot of criticism of her and some of the uh, decisions she made in prosecuting uh, people of color and the lack of uh, progress she made on some of the issues that are now really at the top of the list so she took herself out of contention and suggested uh, that the vice president biden choose a woman of color
1: and we go to another call david join us thank you for waiting you're on the air
0: thank you very much uh, enjoy your program uh,
3: i'll suggest either stacy abrams or karen bass agreeing both with senator Klobuchar And all of the black ministers who have urged a woman, a black woman, a woman of color. I uh, would have preferred uh, Senator Warren or possibly Senator Harris if the Democrats didn't have a strong chance of getting a majority in the Senate and possibly with a net gain of 20 making uh, the objections of any Republican senator, the three remaining, unlikely and lacking any force. That's
1: it. All right, David, good to hear from you. And let me thank you for that call. And uh, I want to go to something else here for a moment uh, that I think, Anita Kumar, you've written about, and that is the Under Secretary of Defense for Policy. Uh, we're talking about Anthony Tata. Uh, his name has been withdrawn, but. There's still a great deal of controversy. He called uh, President, former President uh, Barack Obama a terrorist leader. He said that uh, former CIA Director John Brennan should be executed or suck on a pistol and kill himself. Uh, Some pretty outrageous things called Islam, the most oppressive, violent religion he knew of. uh, And yet he's being kind of moved into this position, even though the Senate wouldn't approve him, isn't he?
4: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we see this, you know, quite frankly, pretty often we see that with Democratic candidates, you know, presidents as well. Um, You know, President Obama had the same thing where there are some people that will not get through the Senate, but that they end up in the administration anyway. The sen, you know, the president wants that person in the administration. And if it's a Senate confirmed job, it's sometimes very tough. I'll mention Susan Rice again. Remember, she was up, if you'll remember, for secretary of state. and was withdrawn that name was withdrawn she wasn't going to get through that senate confirmation process but you're exactly right there's a lot of criticism and controversy and um you know the president and his team still want still want him in in the administration
1: and susan rice we should remember was uh, has has never been elected to uh run for an office she was going to run against susan collins up in maine but decided not to um Here's a listener who writes, as a native San Franciscan, I'd be hard-pressed to vote for Kamala Harris. We should bring in new faces, younger people, leave all elected Democrats where they are. Stacey Abrams is my first choice. And another listener says Kamala Harris should be Biden's first Supreme Court nominee and not VP. Jim Clyburn said it's more important to have a black woman on the Supreme Court. And Kamala Harris is young enough to serve for uh, more than four years. What about Senator Clyburn, South Carolina senator, who certainly had a lot to do with Biden's uh, being the nominee, saying that it would be more important to have a black woman on the Supreme Court? Uh, A lot of people took that as maybe a green light to go ahead and look for someone like uh, Whiting of uh, of Michigan, or I was going to say somebody white necessarily, but in other words, somebody not of color. Scott, some thoughts.
3: Well, Congressman Clyburn is, you know, he has said a lot of things. He's very close to Joe Biden. I think he's, you know, not ruling out making an actual endorsement privately with Biden. Uh, But, you know, I, I think that he and many others would be, in the end, quite happy with almost anyone who is... Uh, on the 10 or 11, uh, list of 10 or 11 that have been vetted by uh, Biden's team. Um, you know, I think the thing about Kamala Harris, the, the, uh, I guess it was a, a caller or a listener who had uh, sent in information. You know, it's funny that Kamala Harris is being regarded as an old face. I mean, she just got elected to the U.S. Senate in 2016. She's relatively young, 55 years old. Um, You know, if you look at the average age of the U.S. Senate, she's like a, you know, a kid, (laughs) relatively speaking. So, uh, you know, I think that she would certainly represent generational change if she were to be the nominee, unlike Karen Bass, who's a little older. She's 66 years old. Um, But again, I think, you know, Jim Clyburn, uh, you know, he probably knows Karen Bass better than Kamala Harris, uh, being a member of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, more in the House with, with Karen Bass um but uh, you know as i said i think that uh, either one of those two women and several other would be more uh, more than um acceptable to pretty much everyone who's been critical of one candidate or another right now
1: and here's daniel who writes elizabeth warren cannot be vice president she's too important in the senate and more importantly massachusetts has a republican governor who will pick a republican replacement for warren here's daniel from campbell daniel welcome hi thank you for taking my call um My question is, a lot of these candidates for vice president, the 10 at least, that were posted, couldn't they also be put into cabinet positions where they're Mm. much better fit than maybe vice president? (laughs) Nina Kumar?
4: Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, you know, the Biden team, like every, you know, nominee for president that's getting close to the general election, is looking at – you know, cabinet secretaries in case he does win. Um, and I think that several of these candidates, potential VP candidates are on those lists um, to come up. You know, you mentioned Kamala Harris for Supreme Court, but there's some talk about attorney general. Uh, you know, there's some there's some people on the list for health and human services. So it's very likely that whoever is left there, several of those people will end up in a Joe Biden administration if if he wins.
1: And here's Lisa, who writes, uh, I'm a 70-year-old white woman, and I'm all in for Stacey Abrams. Obama's eulogy at John Lewis's funeral named Voting Rights is the number one issue of our time. He practically called for Stacey Abrams. That's an interesting interpretation, isn't it, Scott?
3: Yeah, you know, Stacey Abrams is probably the one person who would generate the most excitement, I think, among progressives, among certainly women of color. She is somebody who's young, dynamic, uh, and there is certainly she certainly has a very bright future, whether it's as vice president, which seems unlikely, or in the administration. I think a lot of people wish she was, pro- she was running for the U.S. Senate in Georgia right now because those races, both of those Republican seats are up for grabs. And I think uh, there are some who wish that uh, she had made a different decision, along with Beto O'Rourke, by the way, who some thought should have run for against John Cornyn in Texas.
1: I'm going to have to leave it there. Scott, thank you so much. Good to have you always. Thank you. And thank you, Anita Kumar. Good to have you always as well.
4: Sure, thank you.
1: And thank you, our listeners and our callers and emailers. Uh, Sorry, we couldn't get to all of you, but we will get to uh, another hour with Mina Kim. Stay tuned for that. It's up ahead for all of us here at KQED Public Radio. Stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.